Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 137, where we interview Felicity Freedom from Fetching Financial Freedom and hear how she engineered her path to financial freedom. If I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine and we're sort of touching on finance, the first thing I do is, well, you know, if you're interested, it might make sense to kind of like track your spending and see how much you would need if you wanted to do something similar. And just in general, it's like, you never know. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my financial engineer co-host, Scott Trench. I don't know how you assemble these new puns and new adjectives to describe me every week, Mindy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, and show you that by following the proven path, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply engineer your way to financial freedom, we'll help you build a position capable of launching yourself toward those dreams. Scott, I am super excited to have Felicity on the show today. I'm a big fan of her blog. I follow her on Twitter. And every time she says something, I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me. We just seem to have such similarities, even though we're actually quite different. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic episode today. And I think, you know, she she hit the easy button and did all the, all the right things to move right towards Phi and has a lot of really good life options right now. And so I, I'm just excited for you guys, uh, listeners, to, to get a chance to hear her story. And even though she hit the easy button, she did have a little bit of, uh, I don't know that turmoil is the right word, but definitely a little bit of stress in her life when she chose a job that didn't make her heart sing. And I mm-hmm. like how we talk about finding a balance between work and actual life enjoyment. That's one of the uh, the themes of this show that I really wanted to touch on as we were recording. She says, most of my regrets in financial life are about focusing too much on returns and not enough on my quality of life. And this is just a theme we hear over and over again throughout the personal finance space in general, is that you know you don't make a mad dash towards retirement. You enjoy your your time there because once you get there, what are you going to do? If you just, all you do is work and all you do is focus on the end, you're going to have a really unsatisfying retirement. Yeah, I agree. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, 
supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. Felicity from Fetching Financial Freedom, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm actually kind of proud of myself for not stumbling over my lips with that one. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited to have you. As I read your blog, I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me, <laughs> that's me. I want to know where your journey with money begins because I know where mine does and I want to see how how similar we are. Ooh, let's see. I grew up, I guess I would call it upper middle class, had a one breadwinner family and was always fairly aware of money and was told like how to save generally speaking, but still had some uncertainties when it came to like, actually, what do I invest in? How does this actually work? Like when I look at my 401k, when I get that out of college. So yeah, I was always fairly aware of money and where it came from. And I remember wanting some things growing up and being like, well, I don't know if, if we should get that because that costs money. And while at the same time, I think my family was probably the most well off of like all of my friends growing up, looking back at it now. Did your parents ever make you feel like you couldn't spend money? Like when I was growing up, we didn't really talk that much about money, but it was also kind of just understood that you don't just spend money on nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's very relatable to my experience because I remember like a lot of people had Columbia coats growing up. And this is like in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest and it gets very cold. And just as regular winter coats, they'd have like Columbia, kind of like the ski coat. And I wanted one. I don't know why, but I wanted one. And I think I had to have that want for a very long time before I was like, well, maybe we'll get you one. And we wouldn't get like really elaborate Christmas presents or things like that generally. But like we would go to like Europe every once in a while. And to some friends who maybe they go to like, you know, Disney World once a year, like going to Europe seemed like a totally like, whoa, that's a like crazy thing. Even if like the total cost of the trips might actually be somewhat similar. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. <laughs> For me growing up, it was the Louis Vuitton bag. Every cool girl in high school had a Louis Vuitton handbag. And now I look at them and I think, you know what? Those are ugly. I don't want a brown <laughs> purse. Those are really ugly. I always thought they were kind of ugly because I think I think a lot of girls in my high school, they must have been knockoffs. And then I associated that actual brand pieces with those knockoff value, like uh, purses. So like oh. even now, like looking at a, like a fully branded Louis Vuitton or anything that has like the logo just smeared all over it, like it, it's ugly to me. Yeah, my girls were not knockoffs. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> how much was that purse? $400, really? You, I would rather have $400 in my $10 purse than $10 in my $400 purse. Although if they're buying $400 purses, they don't have $10 in there. They probably have a lot. That's a, that's a tangent for another day. Yeah. Let's look at your college. You did go to college and graduate from college, correct? Absolutely. I majored in uh, engineering and I had some amount of scholarship. Most of it was covered by my parents fully, but I did go to a state school. Okay. And graduating, did you have any debt? None at all, which that was definitely, I think, one of the biggest things that gave me a, a foot up and especially for, for reaching uh, financial independence so early. When you graduated with no debt, what, what, did you, what did you do and what was your kind of mindset on moving toward financial independence? Was that, a, was that on your radar around the time of graduation or was that something you discovered a few years down the road? Yeah, I'd say that it was on my radar one or two years after graduation, though I was always very money conscious and savings conscious. So my spending hasn't actually changed too much, at least my conscious spending. I, I feel like I've um, over the years gotten better at really tamping down on unconscious spending. Like uh, for example, I think we were spending something like $400, $500 a month on groceries at one point in time and got that down to something more like 250 
uh, if I recall. We spend more than that now. We spend more like the $400 now, especially during this pandemic. I don't know. Oh, I should really look at our, our spending. I haven't lately. Wait, wait, wait. You don't have everything memorized? Okay, that's ah. the end of this show. <laughs> the end. Goodbye. No, that's actually a really amazing comment. My unconscious spending. I'm trying to tamp that down. That's where you get in trouble. Nobody gets in trouble because, well, I can I can't say nobody, but I'm going to anyway. Nobody gets in trouble because their, you know, all of a sudden their electric bill goes to a thousand dollars a month. Like, what do you? You can't have all your lights on all day long. Maybe in Hawaii, that's another tangent. Well, okay, I, I'd sort of I'd sort of chime in there with something almost a little disagreeing with you, Mindy, on that. Where no, your electric bill doesn't spiral out there, but people buy the big house right? Or That's they get true. the big rent the apartment and they get the, the, the fancy car with the big payment. And that really cripples your ability to save. You know, For me, I don't have any control over my unconscious spending. And here I am co-hosting the, the, the money show with you, right? <laughs> what do you mean but you don't what have I any do control have, over it? I, I, look, you know what? It's, guess what? Guess what? How's this? It's 9-11 a.m. on Wednesday and we're recording this podcast. And you want to see a Cardinal sin? This is breakfast I ordered. <laughs> oh, Scott, so, you are so, fired. But but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I live in a half duplex, right? I drive a completely paid off Toyota Corolla. Anyways, so I just want to chime in there with that on the on the, the fixed. For me, it's been the fixed <gasps> side of things as well. So oh, just yeah, a little fun tangent here. Uh, <laughs> Scott, you're never going to reach financial freedom because you just went out and got breakfast that one time. That's right. Or, I'm sorry, you had it delivered. That's even worse. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. avocado toast too. Oh my god, Actually, yes, because he's a was... millennial. <laughs> you know, no comments there. But. <laughs> <laughs> it was avocado toast. <laughs> okay, so no, but your unconscious spending can really get you into trouble because you're not thinking about it. You're, it's just oh whatever. It's just a dollar. It's just you know five dollars or. $27 for Scott's avocado toast or whatever. Like it's unconscious and it just happens. And you do have control over that, Scott, because you consciously chose to buy breakfast. It didn't just show up at your door. You might not have mm -hmm. thought about the money that you were spending, but you're also not living paycheck to paycheck. Is that fair? Yeah, well, that, that's right. And for me, it was the fixed expenses. I absolutely need to do a better job controlling yes, my... Do. These expenses, yeah, these variable ones. But anyways, that was just give me point. your budget. I'll fix your. I'll fix you up, Scott. <laughs> Thank you, Mindy. Okay, but back <laughs> to Felicity. Yeah, well, actually, time like uh, piggybacking off of that fixed expenses is also huge. It just wasn't something that was kind of an issue. Like before thinking about actually achieving financial independence and possibly retiring early. We were living in a studio, like a basement studio apartment, basically because so it comes back to first being very conservative. So um, if financially speaking, just when we first moved in together, he was still a grad student and making like $20,000 a year, whatever it was in Boston. And he wanted to, for us to move in together, for us to be able to afford it on either of our salaries. So in case something happens for one of us, that we would still be okay, which is great, but it's just very difficult on a grad student stipend. But I agreed with that. I thought, you know, that makes sense. And so we we stayed in a basement studio apartment for a couple of years. That was, um, I think it was 250 square feet. And now we're, now we're living in a studio that's oh. 350 square feet and it's not a basement. So, you know, moving on up. Yeah. Lifestyle inflation. That's right. lifestyle I, I also inflation. moved up from the basement and to the top floor in the recent years. It's it's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably should have done it sooner for for, for, for us. <laughs> well, well. So let me ask. Let me ask you this. So the first two years, you you weren't aware of Phi, but you were just spending very little because that sounds like your your instinct is to really, you know, or or your that's just your what you were kind of ingrained to do with money, I guess, <laughs> coming out of yeah. college maybe. But what were you doing with your money prior to discovering Phi? And then what? when was that moment for you when you discovered Phi? Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think now. Like, um, So I was contributing to a 401k at my first job out of college. I don't think I was maxing it out right away. I think I had like a savings account where most of the the excess money went. And I would also every year get a, I think Roth IRA in those days. Around the time where 
Phi really came on the radar was also around the time that Fergus graduated from grad school and got a quote, real job, unquote, in which case he went from making $20,000 a year to over to, to six figures a year, which to this day, he's still like, I'm like massively overpaid. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. You are tell him. <laughs> paid what you are worth. You are paid the value that you bring to your company with an asterisk, of course. Not everybody is, but he is not massively overpaid. Yeah. And actually, if he had not gone to graduate school and just gotten a job right out of undergrad, he'd probably be making a lot more right now with his field. Just randomly putting that out there. Well, Wait, so graduate we, school yeah. was a hindrance? Yeah. Can we yeah. go on that tangent real quick? What, what happened there? Can you walk us through like a very high level what that looks like for him? Yeah. So his field is in computer science. So if you get a CS degree and you get a, so you could, you could get a job. I know somebody who was a former intern of mine who got a job right out of college and making, I believe it was $110,000 a year, which was more than I was making in a very similar field after four or five years of experience. Plus I think $40,000 signing bonus and then 70,000 in stock options over four, vested over four years. And that just grows. It's, it's really more the experience than the education for kind of where you are salary-wise with computer science. And it's, um, it's especially if you go to like one of the big tech companies, like the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Googles, those sorts of things. And that's where Fergus has been employed. Okay. So this is, this is starting to, to shape up a little bit for me in my mind of the story here. So you and, and Fergus are both engineers. What kind of engineer are you? Uh, my background's in electrical engineering. I won't get into too many details about like what I've actually done, but it's been not electrical engineering. <laughs> mm-hmm. Various different things. Um, I think more along the lines of software systems engineer or something like that. This is what all the, the rocket scientists overall. say. They just don't want to say it. Okay. Um, so so <laughs> you guys are particular. both... <laughs> <laughs> right, so you guys are both engineers and... You've been engineers since basically employed basically since graduation, except for he went back to school to get a, an advanced degree. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I I did go back to school to get a master's, but I did it while working full time, and my employer okay. at the time fully covered it, which was awesome. Oh, now let me ask nice. you this. Okay, on that one, when was that decision made relative to your journey to Phi to get your master's? It was sometime after the discovery. Okay. So can you walk us through that and what you decided for yourself there as well? And if whether you need, like, like, was that an intentional decision to accelerate your journey to fire or something you wanted to do or a mixture? It was more something I wanted to do because um, I wasn't very happy in my job at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought this could be a way of going somewhere else, being something else. And also knowing that my company would fully pay for it, the risk seemed a lot lower. And at the time that I signed up for the program, it was only like a, essentially a two-year commitment after graduation where I would no longer uh, have to pay back the money uh, as well. So it wasn't like a four plus years after graduation, like some of the education compensation plans are for some employers. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, is this the job that you spoke about in your article, The Power of Financial Freedom? Yes, I believe so. That's been a while since I wrote that. But Yes, uh, but that's still relevant today. So it doesn't matter that you wrote it a while ago. You were in a job that you didn't actively hate, I think is your exact word. I didn't actively hate this job. Nobody was yelling at me, but I didn't enjoy it. I didn't spend my time enjoying it. So you were there, you got your degree, and then continued to work there for two more years. So yeah, so it was two years of working in that job, starting the de- that degree program that lasted for two years. And I um, very, oh gosh, now we're going back into all the history uh, of my life. And I'm like, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> um, I think it was two years of working at that job and then the degree program. And shortly after that, I did kind of a an... All, kind of an ultimatum thing. I think it was a year after graduating where I was like, you know what? I'm either going to find something else or I'm just going to leave 
and that's going to be it. And I ended up getting a job at the same company. So I didn't actually have to deal with any of the repayment, but I was fully going to do that. It might've been two years after graduation. Okay. Good Lord, I might have to look that up. I'm like completely <laughs> forgetting my own timeline. Well, well, I think we've got like a number of really cool things to discuss here. And and so I'm wondering where to go next. And maybe maybe the best way, thing to do here would be to finish out kind of the story arc of your career and, and yeah. journey to five. So I'm trying to put this into a framework that kind of I can fit in with all, all, the, all the stories that we've heard over the years on the money show here. So you graduate college with no debt and you get what I imagine is a relatively high paying job for a college graduate. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It was um, that I, I do remember I was getting 67,000 right out of college. And that was in Massachusetts, which is a little bit on the low side for engineering actually, but the company as a whole wasn't like a major like for-profit type of company. It's also a little bit tricky to, to, to explain, but yeah, 67000 a year in 2011 as a fresh out of college engineer. Hey, getting a job in 2011 is pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but so, okay, so you spend nothing over these next couple of years, relatively speaking. You're, you're living in a 250 square foot basement and all that. And, and so you, I'm imagining you're just racking up cash. You, you said you're contributing to a 401k Roth, but it doesn't seem like you had a super intentional strategy about your investing other than contributing to the Roth and 401k up until you discovered FI. Is that a good summary? Yes. Okay, great. And so then you discover FI and immediately go to grad school to get an advanced degree while working still full-time. Yes. (laughs) So that's where I want to pick up the story here. What do you do? How does your money journey evolve? And how do you begin what I imagine becomes a a, a very fast-paced race towards FI unless something fundamentally changes about your income or spending habits here. Is that... Yeah. That, that's the framework, I guess. <laughs> I'll let you yeah, pretty much. One year into my advanced degree is about when Fergus graduated. That's when our money saving really kicked up because, I mean, we're essentially... We were already saving income when he was making 20000 a year. And now we have two tech careers. So we're essentially saving all of his much higher income in addition to saving some of my income as well. And I got really obsessed with FI and FIRE and I would read blogs all of the time and I would really get into things. I would check our accounts like daily and be very on top of things. And I'd be looking at our spending. I'd go over budgets on Mint and I'd be very on top of things. Like, are we spending... Like, what did you spend... $50 for on Amazon. What was this thing? Or those sorts of things, not in like an accusatory manner, but like a, wait, why are we spending this? Like, could we have not? Or those sorts of things. And we also have combined finances and got married basically a year after I graduated. So in this whole ramp up of really getting to a higher net worth, it had all been like completely shared finances as well. Okay. So you said a moment ago, you got really obsessed with personal finance. What was the turning point that like clicked in your mind that I have to focus on this? And also you said you guys got married. Do you share finances hundred percent? Yeah. Okay. So how did you get really obsessed? I think it was just like uh, my first introduction to kind of fine fire was uh, Mr. Money Mustache post and I think I read through basically all of his backlog and then I started reading other bloggers and reading like all of their backlogs as well. And then like getting onto Twitter, uh, sometime in there, I started a blog and started writing about things. And I honestly think a big part of that was just wanting to make friends with all these other cool people that were writing about money. So, (laughs) you know, being on Twitter, I don't, write so much these days, but I'm on Twitter sometimes. And um, just talking with people and making friends on Twitter, especially, was a big part of kind of getting into things and just talking about money and talking about money with other people. So it sounds like you and Fergus talk about money a lot together. Do you have conversations about money? Yeah. I feel like most recently our conversations are about like, well, so would you want to retire too then soon? (laughs) <laughs> or like, uh, well, do should we like maybe look into other things? It's um, 
kind of weird now with the pandemic and everything because we were initially thinking of like slow traveling around the world sort of thing for a year or so, but um, it's a little difficult now. Well, I, I have one question before we get into the decisions, the good the good options that it sounds like you now have and, and yeah. working through those and the conversations of this. What did you, in, you know, look, we got the story basically of, hey, we're going to pile up an accelerating amount of cash, you know, especially with him finishing grad school and all that and, and, and stacking that another large income into the equation. What are you doing with the money at a high, at a high level? Are you investing oh, yeah. in index funds, real estate? What, what is your approach there? All index funds, basically. Um, uh, I think we have our asset allocation is basically like uh, 70% US stocks, 15% foreign stocks, and, and just like boring, like, you know, US total stock market, foreign ex-US stock, and then 5% bonds and like 5% alternatives. So like REITs and I think a little bit of gold. But um, basically... Index funds, mostly stock. Love it. I just want to chime in here with that. That makes perfect sense to me. And, you know, we get all these different allocations and things, but your story here, you know, do, do you have kids? No. Yeah. So the, the dink, right? Uh, double yeah. income, no kids with two engineers. Like that makes perfect sense. You know, you guys are, are high income earners. You're very frugal. It sounds like. Why would you do anything other, in my opinion, than dump that into high, you know, index funds that are completely passive and hit the easy button and a coast to financial freedom and a life of complete optionality in a, a, a decade or less, you know, when that's that's the complete easy automatic approach. So anyways, I just want to point that yeah. out because that kind of fits in with like the approach that makes complete sense, the engineered approach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, to, to I, I actually kind of yeah. think that our, our story is kind of boring in that sense because I'm like, well, yep. of course we can do it. <laughs> uh-huh. That's oh, I love the best it. That's... part. It is repeatable. So I do want to focus on, a, you know, take a little twist right here and talk about happiness because mm. you both had these high paying jobs and you were in a job that did not bring you joy. It didn't bring you like massive, well, it sounds like it does kind of bring you a little bit of stress, definitely unhappiness. So let's talk about that, that uh, that job that you were at for four years and didn't make you any happier. You have an article called The Power of Financial Freedom, and we'll link to that in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 137. But you said, most of my regrets in financial life are about focusing too much on returns and not enough on my quality of life. I spent four years in a job I did not like because I knew I was making a decent salary and did not actively hate it, even when I could have been spending that time mindfully in a much better way for my own well-being. Yeah, And then you uh, wrap up that article saying, since the change, multiple friends have told me I'm smiling more. I'm happy and as an unintentional side effect, even have greater earning power now since I changed to a more lucrative field. Money can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be. Money can give you power and strength and it can help you focus on what really matters in life. Worrying about money is depressing, but so is focusing solely on the accumulation of money. And that's something that I really want to focus on for a few minutes because I think that's so important. I have had jobs that I didn't like. I have had jobs that I actively hated. Mm -hmm. And getting up in the morning is just so hard because I got to go to this job that I hate. And I am now in a job that I love. I've said this multiple times on this show. I jump out of bed every morning. I make my coffee. I come downstairs. I turn on my computer and I get to go to work. And I feel guilty pre-pandemic. I felt guilty leaving the house as my husband is dealing with the two girls fighting. I'm like, ha, see ya. I'm going to go have fun at work. And it's such a different experience. I am happier in my life because the thing that I spend eight hours a day doing doesn't suck. Yeah. And it's not about the money. It's not always about the money. And it's, you know, it's really rich to be able to say that. But, you know, having a job that sucks is horrible. Yeah. I, I was fully like going into it when first discovering Fi and Fire. I was like, well, I just need to be here just like, you know, at the end of the four years. I mean, just four more years, that's not very long at all, right? Like that's that's doable. But yeah, the change 
if you can like be doing something day to day that brings you joy, that brings you happiness, or if you could be like, it's absolutely worth it to, to pursue that, to maybe even sacrifice some time and money to see what that would mean for you. Because yeah, looking back on it now and reading what I wrote, I've, it's been a while since I looked at that, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That sounds smart. Yeah. It absolutely was not what I should have been. And, and I also, I, I uh, got into, <laughs> at one point recently, I, a couple of years ago now, I was riding my bike to the gym actually, and got hit by a car. And I didn't like ask for an ambulance or like immediately pursue a lot of imaging or, or sorts of things like right after the accident. And I'm really regretting that now because I'm still like dealing with physical therapy and shoulder issues. And I'm thinking that a lot of that could have been avoided had I just gone to the emergency room, got checked out. I went to urgent care the next morning, but I didn't actually seek out physical therapy until months after. And the reason, and it's embarrassing to say this, but was because money, because I, I knew I was on a high deductible health plan. And if I was going to be held accountable, like I didn't know that the car insurance of the guy who hit me would pay for everything. So I'm like, well, if I have to pay for it, like it seems superfluous to go to the emergency room. I don't, I feel mostly fine. So why would I, why would I go? I 100% identify with that statement. Um, <laughs> my mom is a nurse. And when you grow up with a mother as a nurse, you never go to the doctor. Your mom's just like, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. So I sometimes I feel like, oh, maybe my kid actually is sick and I'm ignoring something. But mm -hmm. mostly it's like, nope, you're fine. You're fine. We don't need to go. And every once in a while, it's like, you should have taken them earlier. My daughter had strep throat and it wasn't getting better. It wasn't like she had a sore throat and it wasn't getting better for like three days. So I finally take her in and it's strep. Oh, okay. Whoops. I, maybe I should have taken you in earlier, but how do you know? So mm -hmm. I totally identify with that and I don't want to spend the money if I don't have to. I do have a high deductible plan, but when you get hit by a car, you go to the hospital. The end. Felicity. Yeah, I know. I know now. The accidents are hard. I, I got rear-ended a few years back and you, you feel fine in the moment because the adrenaline's pumping and all that kind of stuff. And so it doesn't yeah. even hurt. And that's, that's influencing your decision as well. And then you, know, you wake up the next day and you're like, wow, what is going on? I got these like, you know, and, and that's, but it's kind of, I get it. It's kind of hard to tell, like, should I go in? Should I not? What's overkill? Am I being a hypochondriac by, you know, worried about this? But yeah. Well, anyways, I want to, I want to transition back to another topic here with, it sounds like you are doing pretty well right now with your finances. And there's a discussion floating around between you and, and, and Fergus here about, retirement. So who's instigating that discussion? How's that discussion going? Give us the context around that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm definitely instigating that. Um, I <laughs> unexpectedly lost my job that I, I did enjoy. I, it was one of the things I, I really enjoyed, especially my coworkers. And yeah, I, I, I liked what I was doing, but I, as well as a large portion of my coworkers were let go because of uh, financial reasons, sales down due to coronavirus pandemic, things like that. So I found myself without a job in a pandemic, but I had enough money to be retired. We just recently went kind of above and below like 3% safe withdrawal rate on our accounts for more than we actually even spend. So it was kind of a, well, maybe I tried this out. Maybe I just don't look for another job, especially since... I kind of said earlier, like what my type of engineering is, it's, it's weird. That's my type of engineering. There's not a lot of jobs for it. <laughs> so looking for another job, I probably could get something that would hire me, but it may or may not be something that I would enjoy doing. So in the meantime, I'm doing other stuff, but yes. So I am essentially retired now and Fergus is not. Fergus is working from home and he's okay with his job. I, I ask him fairly often, like, well, do you enjoy things? And he's like, it's okay. Mm. <laughs> it's a little reserved, a little more reserved than I am. Okay. I've got a, I've got a lot to unpack <laughs> here. Uh, first of all, I have a comment. So many people who don't have any interest in being frugal because being financially independent is so difficult and you have to give up everything and blah, blah, blah. So many of those people say, I don't care about Phi because I love my job. 
Mm. You loved your job and also put a lot of money in savings. And did you choose when you got to separate from your employment or was that chosen for you? It was chosen for me. So now you're not scrambling in a pandemic when nobody's hiring to try and find a job. You don't have to go and take any job that's offered because you have taken care of money. Yeah. You don't have to be so focused on this. On the other hand, Mr. Fergus seems to think that the 4% rule is too risky, which is interesting because we had Michael Kitsis on the show. Oh God, I should have looked up when we had him on. Uh, recently. Show 120. Show 120. And he is quite the proponent of the, the 4% rule. Mm. He seems to think that it is perfectly within reason to assume that that will last you forever. And did he say that he could even go a little higher, Scott? Or am I making that up? Yeah, well, well, well. It, I think it, it it depends on the the environment and, and a couple of other factors. But yeah, I think I think that there was, and it depends on which fund and which index you're tracking. But I think I think there was some mention of like a four and a half percent rule it was really the the floor there. Uh, right, with one of those allocations. Yeah. Okay, and f- does he also have the tables for like um like a proponent of like more bonds and then when you first retire and then going into more stocks. He might have something like that. I'm reaching here back. Yeah, he's got a really interesting chart on his blog, and we'll link to that in the show notes here as well. That starts off and it shows, you know, for 30 years, these different allocations and this different amount of money, and like one out of 30 or 50 scenarios leaves you with no money at the end of 30 years. Which is super easy to stand here and say when you're not trying to live off of your 4%. Um, Engineers don't build bridges that have a 1% chance of collapsing, though. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. So so there, there's your... Yeah. So so what's that looking like? It sounds like there's a comfort level problem here. What's the, a framework for addressing that or what's going on with that? Well, so I think the way that it will actually have to be addressed, I'm kind of, I guess, holding off on it a little bit just because... Like what I really want to do is do the slow travel around the world, but that's going to have to be kind of on the back burner for now. So in the meantime, maybe having a little bit extra or a lot extra wouldn't hurt. But I think what would really ease his fears... So a big part of it is healthcare spending because that's such a... Probably something that I can't say on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Unknown. Uh, Disaster. Um, Disaster. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things, especially as you grow older. So I'm 30 right now and Fergus is uh, about six years older than I am. And even up to now, we haven't been like without any health complications, accident here and there, or something random happens. And just knowing that you can weather those things, I think is a big thing. So I think I'd really have to do is put together Monte Carlo simulation that also takes into account rising healthcare with variable amounts of, of rising. And in addition, kind of uh, stress test the whole thing with uh, injection of like, you know, random $10,000 medical expense on X years or something like that. That would, I think, actually put him at ease and possibly also looking into more of the different kind of glide paths in terms of like changing asset allocation over time with respect to kind of like where you are so you don't get into those issues of oh gosh what's what's the word when you have to uh withdraw a lot early on in retirement and uh the stock market just crashed or something the early return you're talking about the the the, like the first year's Volatility. Yeah. Sequence of returns. Sequence, Sequence returns of returns. Risk. Risk. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So have you read Quit Like a Millionaire? Are you familiar with Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution? I'm familiar with Millennial Revolution, but I've not read Quit Like a Millionaire. Okay. They talk, well, at least they talk about in their on their blog about the traveling and they have insurance for other countries. They have traveler's insurance, health insurance, that in every other country but America, health insurance is slightly less expensive. So 
when you say slow travel, are you planning on being outside of the U.S. or are you slow traveling through the U.S.? Mostly outside the U.S. Okay. So tell Fergus that I have fixed his fears and now he okay. can retire. Um, <laughs> well, well, after the pandemic. Oh, after the pandemic, yeah. yeah. Well, that's an interesting one too, right? So we've got moving into that 100% safety range, right? And that's that's a function of different portfolio structures and setups and then you know a certain amount of padding which can cost you in terms of years and those types of things but then you've also got the okay what next component which is a real struggle for a lot of people who have put in you know maybe your identity is a, a part of what you do is your is your identity those types of things and you've got to be moving some people move away from things and some people move toward things i guess and so yeah is that vision of early retirement a little impaired right now if you've got a good job that you can do from home in a pandemic. You just went from working in the office, now you're working from home. It's like, hey, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go and travel the world right now because we're in a global mm-hmm. pandemic. And you know, the rest of the world doesn't trust Americans to travel to their countries. But what's going to happen there? And is that going through his head or your head at all right now? Yeah. He actually doesn't like working from home. So... Maybe that would be a, another reason to try to maybe push him to <laughs> try something else. But we have like a ton of projects that we would love to work on, like some game, video game design development type stuff, app design development type stuff, even just like random calculators or tools we could maybe put on the blog or something like that, just playing around with things. We're definitely not ones to suffer from a lack of things to do. Sometimes I suffer from a lack of structure. I kind of really miss structure, but I've never been like, well, what do I do now with my time? Mm-hmm. I might be like, well, what am I, why am I watching Netflix all day today? But <laughs> that's a different problem. Fair yes. Enough. Sometimes I have that too. There's so many things to do. I don't know where to start. So I'll just do nothing, which is not yeah. helpful at all. It definitely does not move the needle ever. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, We host it on Airbnb, but you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my nine to five job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Felicity, you have another really awesome article on your site called Five Ways Losing 50 Pounds and Saving $1 Million Was Exactly the Same. And just like I said before, we're the same person. I have long... (laughs) compared losing weight and getting out of debt, saving money, et cetera, because they both take discipline. They both take concentration and they're both not difficult if you put the effort in. And I shouldn't say not difficult because there are, you know, people with medical conditions, there are people with financial issues outside of their control, but in general, they are the exact same. You lost 50 pounds. It's up to 70 pounds right now. It was actually a little bit higher than that before the pandemic and uh, quarantine. But uh, we won't go into that. Same. (laughs) Except the whole losing 70 pounds thing. That was not the same. So you said in this article, for me, frugality comes easily, but I will always have thunder thighs. You are not doomed even if you aren't naturally thin or weren't born into upper middle class white picket fence suburbia. We just need to do our best with the hands we were dealt and help others if we're able to. And tracking works. What is the the first thing I say that people should do, Scott, when they start their journey to financial independence? Track your spending. Track your spending. What do you do when you want to lose weight? You need to track your caloric intake or track your caloric expense or whatever, like however works for you. It is a really tricky thing to do. And it's tricky for finances as well because people can have very complicated relationships with like using spending as a crutch the same way that people use food and eating as a crutch. And it's also definitely want to put out there that you need to definitely keep in mind like mental health. Like if you've had issues with binge eating or things like that in the past, doing actual caloric tracking might be a trigger there and do not do that. Do what is good for you first. But for me, I kind of started tracking what I ate almost more as a curiosity. Like, well, it's not, it can't just be calories in, calories out. Like that's, I was just born bigger and I just hold on to fat easier or something like that. So I kind of started tracking almost as a, yeah, we'll see. And I didn't really actively, I sort of had like a, well, this is your goal for the day that the app was saying in order to like lose a pound a week sort of thing. But I didn't actively like stop myself from eating more if I was really hungry or anything like that. I might've like made myself eat a little bit more if I was like at, you know, under 1200 calories for the day. I had kind of a set minimum, but not a necessary set maximum. But overall I was losing, I think about a pound, a pound and a half a week on average, very consistently. And I have a graph on that blog where I was sort of tracking my weight for a a bit and there's this very precipitous like decline right when I started tracking like what I was actually eating. And it was just really fascinating to me that it could have that big of an impact just being mindful of what I was eating. Oh, wow. I'm on that article. That was like a big drop in six months. And it was very like consistent, like not the day-to-day. I also tracked a lot, like my day-to-day fluctuations because what annoys me is like when people are like, when I don't know kind of the moving average, that annoys me because like I don't feel bad if I suddenly I'm five pounds heavier one day because I'm like, well, that that's weird. But obviously I didn't gain five pounds in a week or in a day. But if it's like a five pounds heavier from last week, then I'm like, but wait, I did all that work. <laughs> 
So I think it was like just knowing that moving average was really helpful for me personally. Similar to money, there's the the calories in and then there's the calories out, the income and expenses. Did you have a a workout plan as well that you began to or that you adhered to as part of that? I didn't have like a set workout plan, though I did um, kind of try to start working out a little bit more, but it was very here and there. It wasn't like a really set thing. Though I did notice that if I did have a little bit of activity, I actually like didn't want to eat as much. Like it was, it was, if I'm sitting on the couch all day, it's like easier to eat extra calories and more than I need for the day than if I like go for a walk. I don't know if it's something with the stomach sloshing around or something like that, (laughs) but there's no real set like exercise routine for that. You know, if I didn't know what this article was about and I just saw this, this graph, I would think that this is a debt graph. (laughs) Here's where I started. Oh, I got in a little bit more and then I went down and a little up and then down. Oops. There's like uh, on 717, there was, you started kind of an uphill again. Oh, clearly that was an expense that you, you know, didn't account for or, you know, an emergency of some sort. So that's where that came down. And then you went down a little bit, steep drop. Oh, she got a windfall or something, tax return and paid off a big bunch of debt or something. And then it's just flat for a while. And then it starts going down. That's when you started paying attention to your debt. That's when you did the debt snowball or whatever. So the fact that this is a weight graph is just it's the same thing. It cements my comment that losing weight and getting out of debt are the same thing. It's the same mindset and you it's the same journey. You just have to focus. Now I am not in debt, but I am in weight debt. I have more weight than I should. Thanks, coronavirus. Although that's not <laughs> why. That didn't help at all. What was that thing people were saying? Oh, I'm either going to come out of this quarantine 10 pounds heavier or and an alcoholic or 10 pounds lighter and in the best shape of my life or something. And I'm not 10 pounds lighter in the best shape of my life. Homeschooling every day ended in beer. And now we're going to homeschool again. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's no. been both for me, by the way. So I, you know, initially gained this COVID-19 and now I'm on a, a workout kick, but we'll see yeah, <laughs> how, I just, how things uh, end up at the end of the day. Yeah. Recently started the same. I'm like, okay. We have added a new segment to the show recently called The Financial Scan, and we want to know what you're investing in. Where are you planting your money so that it grows for your retirement? And while there's no one right answer, we all know that it will take forever to become a millionaire based solely on your W-2 job. So to improve our chances of success, we invest in stocks, in bonds, in real estate, in other opportunities. Where are you planting your money? And we kind of already covered this because Scott jumped the gun a little earlier in the episode, but... Yeah, so... Basically, 100% index funds, most of that being stock. We have uh, about 70% US stock, 15% international, 5% bonds, and 5% kind of alternatives with REITs and uh, a little bit of gold, I think, in there too, for the hell of it. Oh, hey, gold. I just saw gold closed for the first time ever above 2000. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. I thought it was more than 2000 earlier, but it's it's at an all-time high because gold is an inflation hedge. Well, there you um, go. Okay. And then one last question for the financial scan. In terms of annual spending, how much do you keep in cash? Currently, it's a little higher than normal, but we're at about 18 months. Okay. And that's just in a fairly easy to access bank account. What percentage, what percentage of our guests have said recently that their cash reserve is higher than it usually is in the last <laughs> eight to 10, 12 episodes that we've done, right? Everybody, everybody's got this like year plus of cash reserves uh, and, and that fleet of safety there, I guess, because of the coronavirus. So yeah, not alone there. I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> and Ramit said that right now what you should be doing is hoarding cash. Yeah. Hmm. So it's an interesting. It's interesting to get the like, hey. We all we all have this kind of concept like having the cash is a drag on our returns, but everybody so far yeah. seems to have a very large at least uh, cash position and relatively large even to their historical patterns of cash uh, of of the cash they held. Sorry, we're just, just chiming in there with that. It's fascinating, especially like cash versus 
like bonds, like no one talks about having like a lot larger, bigger percentage of bonds versus cash. I think probably just because bond returns are very low right now anyway. So it's like, well, why bother? Think, think about this. If you'd invested in bonds prior to this coronavirus crisis and you, you got 100% bonds, how much richer would you be right now than had you invested in stocks? In spite of the fact that anyway, it, it, it's, it's, it's for me, it's not the right long-term approach. I would never do that personally with my money. But there you go. Interest rates dropped so much. So bond yields must have been f- fantastic over the last six to nine months. So Have they been? Well, yeah. I mean, if the interest rates have fallen that much, then your, your bond yields are probably going to be, you know, assuming that there's not defaults on them, are going to be really strong, right? I would love to see this information without actually doing any of the work. So if anybody right. <laughs> is fascinated by this whole thing and wants to make a yeah. spreadsheet, you can email Mindy at BiggerPockets.com or Scott at BiggerPockets.com or both. And even post it in our Facebook group, which is Facebook.com slash groups slash BP money so that mm-hmm. more people can talk about this. Because I think that is a fascinating question. I am on the record as saying, I don't believe in bonds. I mean, I believe in them. I know they exist, but I don't invest (laughs) in them in any way. And I would be interested to see what they've done in the last six to nine months or even the last year. Well, that's great. Thank you. Post to our community and and please educate Mindy and I on uh, on that. That that is an interesting one. I hate being wrong, but prove me wrong. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Okay, so you were were asking what you're doing with the cash before I, I rudely interrupted you there. Oh yeah. We just have it. It's actually in a checking account at like a credit union that gets like 0.5% yield. (gasps) You can have it in Ally Bank and get 1.0. Oh my God. That's like $200 a year. Yes. Look at all that money you're wasting. You're never going to (laughs) retire. The internet retirement police can find you at twitter.com slash Felicity FFF. This is true. Tell her all the mistakes she's making, even though she has all the money she's ever going to need. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Felicity, this has been super fun, but it's not done yet. It's time for the famous four. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite finance book? I would have to say Work Optional uh, by Tanya Hester. I think because it really digs into the like why, like what do you want to be doing? What does your next life look like? And I think those are really important questions to ask and to answer, uh, especially with your partner. And the book also goes into detail about just generally financial independence and saving and retiring and investing and also has a big section on healthcare, which is also super critical to think about. That is super critical to think about. That's a great book. My daughter has a copy, my 10-year-old. And every once in a while, I'll just walk into a room and she's reading it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, Daphne, do you enjoy that? She's like, oh, yeah, I love this book, mom. Oh, that's amazing. from school, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she wants to retire from school. There you go. All right. What was your biggest money mistake? I guess we sort of talked about this earlier, but I think just the being too focused on the money and not as much focused on my own health and happiness. And I think that's definitely hurt me over the years. And I, I hope I'm in a better place now. I feel like I'm in a better place now, but yeah, it's it's um, definitely a failure, I think, of the past. That's okay. You learn from your mistakes and you move on. Exactly. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? We also sort of covered this, but I, I would also 100% agree with the track you're spending. Like even if... It, if I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine and we're sort of touching on finance or like the, oh, you retired, something along those lines, the first thing I do is, well, you know, if you're interested, might make sense to kind of like track your spending and see how much you would need if you wanted to do something similar. And just in general, it's like, you never know. I had one friend, they were much older and more getting close to kind of traditional retirement age. And they had that homework from the financial advisor through work 401k plan. And they had spent like over a thousand dollars on eating out in a month and like didn't really all those um, breakfasts. have any idea. Yeah. All those, all those avocado toasts. And so it's, it's just fascinating how much you can be spending and, and not even realize. Yeah. Everybody knows what their mortgage payment is. Everybody knows about what their electrical bill is. But 
it's those little things, those unconscious things that will really open your eyes. My husband said to me, you know, it seems like we're spending a lot of money. We should track our spending. And this was like eight years ago before this was the, you know, the thing and PF Twitter was a thing. And we just started writing it down. Super, no tech. Here's a Mm. notebook pad with the date, the place I spent it, how much I spent, and then a a running total. And it was shocking to me in a week how frequently I went to the grocery store, how frequently I would spend just a dollar or $5 or whatever. It was just amazing to me how much money I was unconsciously blowing. But at the time, it didn't feel like I was spending willy-nilly because I am frugal. So yeah, tracking your spending is literally the best thing you can do, in my opinion. And Felicity's too. So we're both right to uh, get yourself in that money mindset and being money conscious. Heck yeah. All right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? So it's kind of a series of jokes. They're about elephants. All right. So Let's start with why do elephants wear little green hats? I, why do I elephants know, why? wear little green hats? So they can sneak across pool tables. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you know if there's an elephant in your bed? No, how? They're the ones with little E's on their pajamas. <laughs> what, what's the difference between an elephant and a prune? <laughs> what? One's purple. This is amazing. <laughs> what did Tarzan say when he saw the elephants coming over the hill? It's almost over, I promise. I don't know. Here come the elephants. <laughs> what did Napoleon oh. say when he saw the elephants coming over the hill? Here come the elephants in French? Correct. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just got yeah. it. <laughs> Final one. What did Jane say when she saw the elephants coming over the hill? What? Here come the prunes. See, Jane's colorblind. Ah. Okay, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I have one A to add. heard of elephant jokes. This is fantastic. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> There's more, too. I, <laughs> that was the bridge. I have one to add because Daphne said it this week while we were, we were out on a walk. And Carl has this app on his phone that'll tell you what that light is in the sky. So... Oh. They both, the both girls asked, oh, is that a, is it a planet or is it a star? And he looks up and he said, oh, that's Saturn and that's Jupiter and Pluto is in the middle, but you can't see it with your naked eye. And Daphne said, oh, if I put clothes on my eye, can I see it? (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, Daphne Scott would love that joke. I'll tell him. That's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Okay. Our last question for you, Felicity, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So I've got a blog that I sometimes put text on and you can see what I did in the past. Um, (laughs) I'm laughing because you have a post from a couple of days ago and then one from 2019 and then one from 2018. Yo, yo, that's me. Um, But you can can see that at fetchingfinancialfreedom.com. You can also get somewhat more regular updates from me on Twitter at Felicity FFF, standing for the Fetching Financial Freedom. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it for me. Don't have much to chill or anything. Far more active on Twitter. Although her blog is really interesting. I read your articles and I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. (laughs) So I am very pleased to finally get you on the show because I feel like I know you because you're me. Oh, thank you. Just slightly younger. (laughs) okay well thank you so much felicity and we will talk to you soon thank you happy to be here okay that was felicity scott what did you think i thought it was awesome i i really enjoyed her story and you know i i think she's doing she's following kind of i think more of like almost like a formulaic approach to moving towards spy and it's really paid off for her and i think it's just astounding the amount of options she has at 30 for the rest of her life (laughs) You know, it's just an amazing outcome and I think highly repeatable for folks that are in a similar situation that, you know, in that dink category, double income, no kids in their 20s and 30s. You know, this this is a highly repeatable, easy button approach to FI. 
Absolutely, Scott. She said during the show, oh, I think my story is kind of boring. Boring is best. The Mm -hmm. exciting stories typically don't have the most exciting ending or it the exciting stories is actually very exciting and then it blows up spectacularly at the end and you have to go back to what you were doing before so i guess they are exciting just not in a good way and yeah, money her, should be boring life should be exciting uh, ooh ooh i like that i'm going to tweet that I didn't, out i didn't make that up i did not make that oh. up so don't i don't oh. know who did but <laughs> Oh, never mind then. Still, it's good. I was just very excited. I was going, oh, look what my phone said. Never mind. Somebody else said that. Oh, you can attribute um, it to a wise man. A wise right. man. A wise person. Maybe it was a woman who said it. That's what that's what Brandon Turner, one of our our fellow co-hosts, he, he hosts the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, likes to do. He'll 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 make up a quote and then attribute it to a wise man. And then uh, and go from there. So if you follow his yeah. Instagram, you'll you'll start to catch that. <laughs> Throw him under the bus here, but I a think it's wise hilarious. Man, yeah, he used to just quote himself. He would yeah. put it in quotes and then write yep. Brandon Turner. That's right. I think it's funny. <laughs> but yes, money should be boring. It is the easy button, the index fund, the steady savings rate, the you know maxing out your four hundred one k. Nobody wants to sit here and talk about how maxing out how they're maxing out their 401k. It is a boring conversation. Oh, I'm just putting money from every check into my 401k. Like there's not a lot of discussion about it. It's not going to generate a lot of exciting conversation except if you're Scott and Mindy and then we do like to talk about it quite a bit. But that's how you get to financial independence. You do the boring things and then you take the parts of your life that you really really find value in. And you blow those up and that's where you find your excitement. And, you know, a boring life is kind of boring, but a boring money life is actually quite exciting. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. Hey, Mindy, what do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? Irrelevant. (laughs) I actually really like all of these elephant jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy, should we pack up our trunks and get out of here? (laughs) yes you should i love it (laughs) okay he is scott trench and i am mindy jensen and we are saying live long and prosper we just wanted these elephant jokes to be heard oh my goodness okay the end (laughs) goodbye market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.